Restoration Week is what we used to call Week of Evangelism. So it's a service week, and we're excited that they're serving at Little Galilee. Next week is time change. People said, clock's back, clock's ahead, spring forward, bottom line, you're going to lose an hour of sleep. So I know everyone will go to bed an hour early on Saturday night. If you don't change your clocks, you're going to miss the whole thing if you show up at 11 o'clock next week. So set your clocks an hour ahead and uh, get ready to take a nap on Sunday afternoon. Announcement number two, pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. This Saturday is our fundraiser breakfast. Any of the students that have tickets they're trying to sell, we are going to head to the foyer during the the closing time of our service. And if you want to seek one of them out, they would greatly appreciate it. Five bucks uh, a ticket, and I think four and under or under four eat for free. It's great sausage. It's awesome pancakes. It's all you can eat. Uh, Be there. Announcement number three, Purity Ball 2013. We are reaching a crisis time. We need people that can help with this very, very important ministry. And if we don't get people that can help, we're probably not going to have a purity ball this year, unfortunately. And it's one of the great events, one of the great ministries of our church. So if you are interested in helping Laura Keller, write your name and purity ball, give it to me, uh, give it to Karen Rice. We'll get the information to Laura, but we need to be making a decision in the next couple weeks. And I wanted to throw the plea out to all of you. Um, We could use your help. John chapter 14. We started on the second Sunday of the year looking at the I Am statements in John 6, I am the bread of life, John 8 and John 9, I am the light of the world. John 10 was actually a two-week venture. Jesus says in verse 9, I am the gate or I am the door. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Last week, we looked at the raising of Lazarus from the dead, John 11, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked, do you believe this? And Martha said yes, and Mary said yes, and that's a question you have to answer. That's a question I have to answer. And if your answer is yes, that's an answer of hope. That's an answer of heaven. That's an answer of excitement. This week we jump to what I think is probably the most controversial of the I Am statements of Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And that's a verse that has a lot of ramifications, especially living in the world in which we live. We live in the day and the age of tolerance and relativism and the idea that there is no absolute truth and the idea is what's truth for you may not be truth for me. And that's not what John 14, 6 has to say. Jesus says very plainly, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Let's read God's Word together, John 14. We're going to look at 14 verses of Scripture today, and I'm going to dive in right now with verse 1. Jesus says to His disciples, He says to you today, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with Me that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's the word of the Lord, John 14, verses 1 through 14. And I think one of the real blessings of the Christian life is the ability to tuck away in your hearts and your minds the promises of God's Word. And if you're not in God's Word, and if you're not memorizing God's Word or writing down God's Word, you are really cheating yourself. I can't tell you the number of times in my life when crisis has begun to unfold and you wonder, can I get through this? You wonder, is there any hope? That the promise that Peter records in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's ministered to me. That's helped me. Maybe this morning, if you're going through a tough stretch of life, 1 Peter 5, 7, that's a promise of Scripture that you can count on. Or maybe you find yourself like many people struggling with sin or the temptation to sin. And it's a battle of flesh and and you're not sure you're going to win that battle. You're not sure you're strong enough to win that battle. Do you know the promise of God's word that the Apostle Paul records in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And when you are tempted, he will provide you a way out. If you're struggling... You don't have to go tell 15 people that you're struggling, but you need to remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's a promise that can help you. Or maybe you're struggling with just the fact that we live in a material world. We live in the world where it's all about stuff, getting lots of stuff, getting good stuff, getting better stuff than the people in our life's stuff. And maybe you're playing that game and you just realize you're never going to get there. You're never going to have a better car than everybody else. You're never going to have a bigger home than everybody else. Your wardrobe is never going to be as nice as everybody else. You need to remember the promise from the Sermon on the Mountain that Jesus shared when he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the stuff will be given to you as well. Now, he doesn't really say stuff. He says all these things will be given to you as well. But the principle is there. Focus on the kingdom. Don't worry about the today Well, in John 14, our passage this morning, there are three promises. There's more than that, but we're going to look at three promises from Jesus. And and as you hear this read this morning, I want you to put yourself in the shoes, the clothes of the disciples. Peter, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Andrew, all of them, Bartholomew. As they heard Jesus share these words with him during the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. And the first promise that Jesus shares with them is peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. When we think the first part of John 14, what do we typically think of? Funerals, don't we? Because we hear that shared a lot. I love when I have the opportunity to do a funeral to read John 14 at the very minimum. I usually preach John chapter 14 because those words are so comforting. They're so helpful. Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
Trust in God. Some translations say believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Too many times when we're going through life, we are troubled. When we're going through the trials and the tribulations and I lost my job or I'm dealing with this illness, this disease, or my my children's went off the deep end or my parents have went off the deep end or something's going wrong, we are troubled. And Jesus says, I bring you peace that surpasses all understanding. I couldn't help but think of Merle Cox. Um, I've known Merle since I interviewed to, to come to First Christian Church. One of the first people I met um, from the time I met him, I have admired the man. All the obstacles that he's faced in, in this life. And man, his faith is as, as strong as anyone that I know. And just the joy they must have felt when that telephone rang at 10 o'clock on a Friday night saying, pack your bags and get to St. Louis. It was the culmination of years of prayers. And Jesus says, I've got this. I'm in control. But, but even if you never get that phone call at 10 o'clock on Friday night, even if you pray and you pray and you pray and it doesn't unfold like you want it to unfold on this earth, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. No matter how bad it gets on this earth, I've got you if you're in me. It's a peace that, that can't be described in the English language. It's a peace that can't be communicated with simple words. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus says, I'm going and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Secondly, Jesus promises the only path to the Father in heaven. Jesus promises the only path to the Father in heaven. I, I think there are two New Testament verses of Scripture that are probably despised more than maybe any other by the culture today, the world today, the anti-Christian crowd, and there's a pretty strong anti-Christian crowd out there. This is one of them, John 14, 6. I think Acts 4, 12 is the other one. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Because both John 14, 6 and Acts 4, 12 speak of the fact that there's one way to God the Father in heaven. And we want lots of options we want lots of opportunities. What works for you may be great. It doesn't work for me, but let's just all rejoice in the fact that there's a lot of different paths. And that'd be great, except it's not the truth of God's Word. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. I am your ticket to the Father in heaven. It's a radical statement. It's a crazy statement. It's like C.S. Lewis said, Jesus either had to be a liar or he had to be a lunatic or he is Lord. And that's a choice you must make today. That's a choice I must make today. Anyone that would say, I'm the only way, is either crazy, he's lying, or we need to bow down and worship him. And I say Jesus is worthy of our worship he is the way. But there's a different element to this verse that I don't think we look at sometimes. We focus just on, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What I want you to look at today is that little phrase at the end of verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to think of Judgment Day. And I want you to think of Judgment Day because every person here today, every person that's ever inhabited the earth will stand before God the Father in judgment. That's what the Bible teaches us. I believe that it's true. And I don't know about you, 
But there's some things that I've done in my life that I don't really want to have to say out loud as I stand before God the Father. When, when the, the list is, is read, that's going to be pretty embarrassing. And how many of you feel that same way? Guess what? Every hand should go up right now, quite honestly, because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And when that laundry list of sin and mistakes, and man, I got angry and I yelled at my kids and I kicked my dog and I, I, I stole the candy bar, whatever it may be, when that list is read, it's going to be embarrassing. But the really cool thing the really cool thing about this verse of Scripture, if I understand it right, is on that day, if you are a Christ follower, I think you're not going to stand before the Father all alone. I think Jesus Christ is bringing you to God the Father. And instead of a laundry list of sin and indiscretion, that list is going to be as white as snow. That's kind of relevant to talk about snow today, isn't it? We've had a lot of it lately. It's going to be white as snow. Instead of having to make excuse after excuse after excuse for the mistakes that I've made, I don't even think I'm going to have to talk. I think Jesus Christ is going to say, Father, this is Greg Taylor. He, he's my friend. He's my brother. He's with me. My, my blood paid the price for his sins. He might even say, like, this is Greg Taylor, the perfect one. Man, I hope that Marla and the kids are around for that. You know what I'm saying? I hope they can get a bird's eye view to that. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, our advocate, our mediator, our intercessor. I, I can't wait. I can only imagine. Well, Jesus promises a peace that surpasses all understanding and the only path to the Father in heaven. But thirdly, in our passage of Scripture today, Jesus promises power to change the world in his name. As I was reading through the, the scriptures, there, there were a couple of you that probably were stunned because you maybe never read this before, and you couldn't believe some of the things that Jesus actually said. When you dive right into God's word, you will have, the first time you read something, kind of a, a stunned reaction at times. Listen to some of the things. And Dana, I want to put all four of these up on the screen at the same time. Jesus says, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. He says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He says, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And then verse 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Guess what I'm asking for? 2013 Chicago Cubs World Series champions. It's not going to happen, folks. It's not going to happen. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Relax, Cardinal fans. You're, you're going to go to the playoffs and choke, so don't worry about it. It's okay. Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Back to the Bible here. Back, back to God's Word. Jesus promises power to change the world in His name. I spent time this week just kind of thumbing through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and paying close attention to the miracles, kind of just reading them quickly. And there are some awesome miracles that Jesus performed as recorded in the four Gospels. Would you agree? I mean, they're miracles, so of course they're awesome. But I came to this conclusion as I read through, do you realize that not a single one of the miracles, other than the resurrection, really had any lasting significance? I mean, think about it. We studied in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, which is awesome that you could take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people. That's incredible. It's a miracle. But guess what happened to every single one of those people the next day about lunchtime? That's right. 
They were hungry, and they needed to eat, right? It was a temporary blessing. Well, what about the raising of Lazarus from the dead? You know, we look at it because Mary was sad, and Martha was sad, and they wanted to see their brother again. But isn't that kind of a bummer for Lazarus? I mean, he's died. No more taxes have to be paid. He was probably poor more than likely. So now he has to drudge around on earth some more instead of being in heaven with God the Father. It was just a, a temporary fix. And what I think Jesus is trying to say when he says things like, anyone who has a faith in me will do what I'm doing, he'll do greater things than these because I'm going to God the Father. You can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I don't think he's saying go out and take five loaves and two fish and try to feed 5,000 people. I don't think he's saying go to the cemetery right down here and start praying over a tomb that someone will literally be raised from the dead. I think what he's saying is I touched people's lives and you can touch people's lives lives as well. In John chapter 2, we didn't study it in this series because there's no I am statement, but we see the wedding feast at Cana, and it's where Jesus's first miracle took place. Anybody know what his first miracle was? It had to be raising somebody from the dead, right? No, it was the feeding of the 5,000. No, that was John 6. What was it? Anybody know? He took water, and he made wine. And no, he didn't make grape juice for those of you there. It was wine. He made wine. That's the first miracle. Why would you start with a miracle like that, turning water into wine? Here's why. Because he was at this wedding reception, and they'd run out of wine. They were just partying like it was 1999. They were having a good old time. And in today's age, if that happens, you just go buy some more. But in in that day and age, it, it wasn't that easy. And if you had people that you had invited in for a feast, and you ran out of food or drink, you were shamed. I mean, your name was mud, and you'd be talked about, not for a day, not for a week, maybe for the rest of your life. Yeah, we went to that party, and they ran out of wine. Can you believe it? And it wasn't even Jesus whose heart was broken. It was Jesus' mother whose heart was broken. Jesus didn't even want to do this miracle. His time had not come yet, but he said, his mother said, we can't let these people be shamed. And so Jesus did a miracle to touch them. What about the, the widow at Nain? Luke chapter 7, we see this funeral procession. Uh, Widow didn't even ask anything. Jesus just sees the heartbreak, and she raises this widow's son to life. And we look at that, and we say, well, that's really awesome. A mother and a son are reunited. I mean, that's a blessing. But the greater story is this. First century world was not a woman's world. If you were a woman all alone in the first century world, you were in trouble. If your husband died or your husband left you, it was up to your son to provide. And if you didn't have a son, you were in trouble. And I believe that the reason Jesus' heart was poured out to this this woman in Luke chapter 7 is because he knew what she was getting ready to endure for the rest of her life. Trouble beyond trouble. And his heart broke, and he did a miracle. Are we going to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? We're not. But we're going to feed more than 5,000 people this year through our food pantry. Are we going to raise someone from the dead? No, we're not. But every week of this year, there's been a funeral dinner that's taken place, that's blessed, hurting people, many who don't know Jesus. The point that Jesus is saying is, I touched hurting people, and you can touch hurting people in my name as well. I read the story of an old man who would go to the ocean every morning. It was near his condo. 
And, and before he would start his writing for his day, he was, an, he was an author, he would walk up and down the shore just to kind of gather his thoughts and decide what was he going to do for the day. And one day he looked off in the distance and he saw a young man dancing on the beach. And he thought, this is crazy. It's 5.30 in the morning. Nobody's ever here. I've got to check this out. So he walked as quickly as he could. And the closer he got, he realized the young man wasn't walking, but he was picking up starfish that had washed ashore. And he was tossing them back into the ocean. And the old man thought, well, this is kind of crazy. Why would you do that? So we just watched for like 15 minutes, and that's all the young man was doing, just tossing starfish that had been washed ashore back into the ocean. And finally, after a while, he couldn't bear it anymore, and he went up to him and he said, good morning, uh, young man, what are you doing? And the young man said, I'm throwing starfish in the ocean. Duh. The old man said, well, I guess I should have asked, why are you doing it? Why are you throwing these starfish back in the ocean? The young man looked at him and said, the sun is up. The tide is going out, and if I don't throw them in, they're, they're going to die. At this, the older man scoffed, and he said, Young man, don't you realize there are miles and miles of beach? There are starfish all along it. You can't possibly make any difference at all. And the young man bent over, and he picked up one more starfish, and he looked at it and chucked it back in the ocean, and he said, I just made a difference for that one. Don't get so caught up in the enormity of the needs in this world, because there's a whole bunch of them. But find your starfish, find your need, and roll up your sleeves and get busy. Jesus says, I promise you peace that surpasses all understanding. I promise you the only path to the Father in heaven. And I promise you power to change the world in my name. Bottom line this morning, bottom line is this. If you want to live forever with the Father in heaven, Jesus Christ is the only route to choose. And I would say this to those of you that are Christ's followers and have been maybe in the church maybe your whole life. Maybe you've always loved Jesus. Maybe you've always been a follower of Jesus. Do you know someone in your world that doesn't know that truth? They don't embrace that truth? Maybe they are your starfish. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for your word. Even when your word might not be politically correct, even when your word might be uh, hard to, to understand, we are so thankful that Jesus, your son, is the answer. That he's the way, that he's the truth, that he's the life. And that he's bringing us to you. And so for that, we rejoice. And God, this morning, as we, uh, as we talk about just the world we live in and, and just the hurt that's out there and the people who, who just are struggling, their, their lives are, are in trouble in so many ways. I just pray that you would, maybe even during the song, burn it in our hearts, burn in my heart. Just one thing, one starfish, one, one opportunity to be a blessing, to touch a life, to to meet a need, not for our glory, but for your glory. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's an invitation, as it is every week here. We sing a song to end our service, and if you're not a follower of Christ, we invite you to come forward during this time. If you're in need of prayer, I'm going to be up front. I'd love to pray for you. Adam Brucker, our student minister, is going to be in the back by the soundboard, and he'd love to pray for you as well as we stand together and the team leads us in our song of commitment. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives.
Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. You're the center of the universe. Everyone was made for you. Jesus, breath of every living thing. Everyone was made for you. Hold everything together. You hold everything together. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. Oh, Christ. Yeah. 